0: Ahoy, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And we are here. Um, we actually we're, were planning on recording tonight's show... Uh, Regardless, but some news came in today that uh, we would have probably had to hop on and do a show even if we hadn't planned on it. And that is that Tom Seaver has passed away at the age of 75. Um, Tom Seaver is the greatest Met of all time by just about any metric that you would want to use. He is a player that, for an organization that doesn't often honor its players well enough... In the eyes of fans, I think that Seaver is probably the the most notable exception to that. Seaver has been the the prototypical all time Met since he since he stopped playing. He's been he's been around the team as a broadcaster, as an ambassador, uh, as a symbolic uh, as, as a symbol of of the Mets' greatness. You know, uh, along with Mike Piazza, he is one of only two Mets to go into the Hall of Fame wearing a Mets cap. And uh, you know neither Chris nor I have memory of watching. I, I mean, it shouldn't be for Chris. I presume you don't have any memory of watching Seaver pitch contemporaneously, do you?
1: I do not. I, I I was here, but I wasn't old enough to have a memory yet. So yeah,
0: I do not. Yeah, same. I was born in '82, so you know those last few years I was cognizant, but I was not monitoring baseball performance very well at that time in my life. So, you know, neither one of us have uh, real experience watching him in real time, but, you know, watching him in dozens of Mets classics, watching highlights, reading about him, it's hard to not come away with the with the assessment that like I said before that, they, that he's the greatest Met of all time. Do you have any qualms with that statement? No,
1: no. I mean, it's... Uh and especially because the main thing that I think about when I think about Seaver is the context that he's in, you know, he's not just that and not that that's a bad thing to be, but he's one of the best pitchers to have ever pitched in baseball. And I, I do think that occasionally it might get lost on some people, not Mets fans. Agreed. Uh, certainly, yeah. Certainly. But you know, you talk about some of the, the really, really, like, greatest names in, in pitching history, and to me, um, you know, I mean, you can, you can look at war with fan graphs or baseball reference, and uh, that's not a bad way to get an idea of, of things, but, you know, he'll, he'll show up high on those lists, but he really was one of the best pitchers of all time, especially – uh, from the point
0: he made his debut until the Mets foolishly traded him away, yes. So the one the one thing I did want to point out was that growing up, Tom Seaver was the answer to a trivia question. It was who has the highest percentage of votes to get into the Hall of Fame, and from his induction in '92 until Ken Griffey Jr. in, in two thousand sixteen, rather, he was he was the the answer. He had ninety eight point eight four percent of the votes to get into the Hall of Fame. That is the highest of any starting pitcher. He is second to only. Sorry, he is behind only Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, and Ken Griffey Jr. He, the people directly below him are Nolan Ryan, Cal Ripken Jr., Ty Cobb, George Brett, Hank Aaron, Tony Gwynn, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Chipper Jones, Mike Schmidt, Johnny Bench, Steve Carlton, Babe Ruth, Honus Wagner, Ricky Henderson, Willie Mays, Carl Stremsky. I mean, the fact that he's above all of those folks in in percentage of Hall of Fame ballots. That's not a perfect science by any means, but especially at the time that Seaver was inducted, the Hall of Fame was considered this, like uh, the one real Hall of Fame in sports. It was the one that was considered the the highest bar to get into and the toughest to get into. And the fact that he had more votes than Babe Ruth to get in, or a higher percentage of votes rather than Babe Ruth to get in, is is a pretty remarkable look at what people thought of him as a talent. And I think that's an important thing to discuss, like we, like you said, Chris, outside of just being a Met, just how excellent he was overall.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, no, absolutely, and um, just another detail that was reported while you were just saying that, um, the the official uh, update was that Tom Seaver passed away from complications of Lewy body dementia and COVID nineteen. So, you know. Uh, this this virus is uh, both of us living in the Northeast, um, and presumably most people listening to this living in the Northeast. You know, it's hit everybody on a personal level, um, and and you know, none of us knew Tom Seaver personally, but you know, we we've we've had. You know family friends colleagues neighbors you know it, it suffer from or, or, or pass away from this virus and mm-hmm. you know just seeing that it contributed to Seaver's passing just uh, you know it's just another just another reason why it is awful
0: wear a fucking mask yep Sorry. Please.
1: I assume most people listening are because one, they read and listen to Amazing Avenue, and two, <laughs> they live in the Northeast. And overall, people have been very good about that here. But
0: yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, just, just an absolutely heartbreaking situation. You know, um, I, Chris and I were talking before we started to record that. So the Mets had renamed the street that Citi Field, at least the mailing address is now Seaver Way, and there's been plans to build a statue to Tom Seaver. He's one of only three retired Met numbers. Is this, It's still three, right?
1: Uh, that counting well, Jackie two, Robinson? Right. Well, two two Mets two, players and then uh <clears throat> and, and Hodges. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so, so it's yeah. four.
0: So four total, but yeah, two players. Yeah, just uh, – just absolutely tragic. Um, I, I I wish I had more words to say. I wish I had a great the time I saw Tom Seaver pitch a one hitter story, but uh, I don't. I just don't have that. You know that that was not part of our that was not part of our Mets fandom.
1: Right. I mean, we did have uh, in terms of things we got to see and remember. You know the the ceremonial pitch.
0: Um the last pitch at Shea slash first at city,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. the ceremonial pitches I shouldn't say yeah you know those those moments um the all- star game at city field you know when he when he made his appearance and uh, certainly some memories of him in the broadcast booth um, oh yeah, yeah, you know um but his the, from the limited memory and then just knowledge I have. Uh, Of Mets history and 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 all that certainly just his his performance as a pitcher and and knowing what he meant to the team uh, and and Mets fans that came before us um, you know it was was pretty significant to say the least so yeah Yeah. very sorry to hear it and
0: yeah I, I I Again, I wish we had more. To, I, I wish I had more personal experience to share. I do remember Seaver as a broadcaster. I believe he stopped broadcasting shortly before SNY, correct? I uh, yeah, I think that was the timeline of it. Yeah, I remember him watching him on WPIX games. Um, with, gosh, was it? I should know this. I watched enough of those damn games. I should know it. Fran healy maybe yeah 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 i think i think he was around with healy yeah he was
1: doing broadcasts yeah
0: yeah he did met's broadcast from 99 to 2005 um yeah all right i mean you know just just an absolute shame we we think that I mean, I, I I would think that you're going to see a lot of Seaver footage on the on the broadcasts the next few days, which is which is what it should be absolutely. And you know, Seaver footage is always kind of in the back pocket of of Mets broadcast because anytime any pitcher did something remarkable, the Met you usually compare him to is Tom Seaver. So it's not like we haven't seen a lot of Seaver footage. but you are going to be seeing a lot of the next few days, and um, you know, it, it obviously goes without saying that. We send our condolences to his family, to his friends, to his former teammates, and to Mets fans everywhere. You know, this is this is one of the ones that really hurts. And uh, you know, if I had one one wish for all this, I wish he could have participated in the '69 celebration last year. Because obviously, yeah. that is that is the season that that Mets fans will forever associate with him. And he was such an important part of that team. And you could tell he loved being a part. Of the 69 celebrations, whenever they happened, I wish he was able to to get one more of those in. But that's, uh, you know, that's obviously a small piece of what's a larger than life, uh, you know, career and life as a human being. So, uh, again, our our condolences to to Seaver's family, friends and fans, and uh, there will likely never be another pitcher like him. And so, uh, Godspeed, Tom Seaver. Should we talk about Steve Cohen? <laughs> sure,
1: slight, slight change of gears. Yeah, just,
0: just, just, just a slight uh, change of pace there, but yeah, um, there is a, uh, there's going to be a new owner in uh, in Metsland. There, there's going to there's going to be a new owner. It looks like Steve Cohen, uh, by all reports, has won the bidding and appears to have enough votes of ownership. I believe he needs to get 23 of 29 owners to vote for him to be the new primary owner of the New York Mets. Uh reportedly 2.38 billion, I believe is the cost he is paying for majority share in the Mets. I know the Wilpons are keeping 5% of the team, and I believe all the people that bought in, remember maybe it was in the early aughts, sorry, the early teens, people like Bill Maher all bought a minority share in the team. You remember that, Chris? Yep. I believe oh, I, yeah, be- yeah. I believe those ownership stakes are not for sale. I believe they're staying with their owners. So I'm not sure what his exact percentage will be, but he will be the by far the majority owner of the Mets. And um You know, I, I think I think it's very hard to to praise a new owner because you have no idea what they're gonna be like. Um but by all accounts this should end the Mets more miserly ways at least for a little a little bit of time what are your initial thoughts on steve cohen being the owner of the mets
1: well um there's a sense of relief you know obviously we don't know exactly what cohen is going to do um at this point it seems like it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that it'll go through um So we don't know exactly what he's going to do, but we know he um, won't be the Wilpons, (laughs) and (laughs) yeah, that that's a significant thing. It's very hard to really say anything, uh, you know, with any kind of confidence about what he'll be like as an owner. But you have to think it's promising, Um, being that he's a Mets fan, being that he is you know, made of money at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in a baseball sense, it has to be a good thing that somebody who is in that financial position and cares about the team would be willing to spend money on it because, you know, we, the, it's not just, oh, we want the Mets to have the, the highest payroll in baseball every year. But there have just been so many instances under the Wilpon's ownership, especially their sole ownership, um, you know, when, when Doubleday's portion of the team was bought out, <clears throat> where just spending money on, on things that were obviously good for the team uh, seemed to be an issue. And, you know, they've, they've made significant signings. Uh, but they usually think they're bad in the end. You know, Carlos Beltran was one of their biggest contracts. Ioannis Cespedes. Uh, more recently, David Wright, even though it was a very team-friendly deal and he was very good until his back made it impossible for him to, to keep playing. Um, they, they've had those contracts. They've made some splashes in free agency. And it's it's not just about doing that, but you would just have to hope that someone coming in in Cohen's shoes um, would have a better approach to doing things that cost money and are smart and good for the team. So um, Michael Conforto getting extended to stick around. Marcus Stroman. That would be – yeah, 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 no, totally – uh, th- that would be a great way to make a good first impression. Uh, so we'll we'll see. but you know it's uh, it, anything is possible, but it's hard to imagine that the state of the Mets will not improve.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, my primary hope, in terms of what he will do or not do, is I hope he just stays out of things a little bit better than Jeff Wilpon did. You know, it, yeah. se- it seems to me like the best owners in baseball recognize that their job is not to be the general manager, that their job is to be the owner. And when you see people tending to um, just butt in too much, bad things happen. I mean, Jeff Wilpon <laughs> hasn't had a disgrace under his name since last week. So you know his his idea to go out there and, and take the field and then walk off and then come back an hour later. Suppose if 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 the statements are to be believed, that was his wonderful idea for what the Mets should do last week. So you know Jeff Wilpon has has disgraced this team enough times that if Cohen just keeps his mouth shut and stays in the background, I will be more than happy. But you know, like you said, the Mets have not had incredibly high payrolls the last number of years nor are we calling for that but they've just had because of the um the madoff scandal because of because of because of so many reasons they just have not even been attempting to be competitive in certain free agent markets and i think that this season has been a really interesting uh just sort of petri dish to observe what the mets are as a team right now and to see what they need to see what they have And I think that for the first time in a long time, I think it's pretty clear exactly what the Mets need going forward for the next couple of years. And I was worried that under the Wilpons, they wouldn't get that, even though it's crystal clear what that is. So I'm hoping that under Cohen, they're able to spend money when they need to to plug the holes that their team has. Right. So that's, you know, again, I don't, I don't anticipate this being somebody who is necessarily a uh, who is who's going to revolutionize the way baseball is being done. I just want somebody who's going to let let the Mets spend some money when need be. Um, now here's a here's a very cynical Mets question for you, Chris. How long of a leash does Cohen have before the first like back page headline against him?
1: Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if he. If he stays relatively quiet and, you know, there's no, there's nothing scandalous going on, um, I'd actually give it like a year or two. I mean, well, I guess the over-under, I would have to be much lower than that. But I'll say it's a year or two before anybody sours on him. I think he gets a honeymoon phase where people are just going to be, you know, uh, embracing – that he's not a will Pond, So, you know, whatever he's doing is better than what had come before. But I think the only thing that would guarantee that it would happen sooner would be a complete teardown, trading away great players on the team, coming in and trying to do a full rebuild, that kind of a thing. That Then I think it would turn quickly. But depending on exactly when he takes control of the team and whether or not he makes significant changes to the front office uh, immediately, then I, I would say as long as the offseason isn't one that the Mets just sit out completely, uh-huh. then he's got like a year of a honeymoon phase
0: Do you think that's even possible? (laughs) I don't know. I've been sitting here thinking about it. So I I think what's going to happen is if the Mets can land, I'm going to say if they can land JT Real Muto and a, and whoever is considered one of like the top four or five starting pitchers next year, then I think he's bought himself that year grace period. But I think if, and this may not be his fault. I mean, it looks now like the sale may not be official until November. And so, you know, I don't know how fast he's going to be able to do anything as as owner, you know. Um, But if he can can facilitate the Mets signing a number of quality free agents, I think he'll get a grace period. I think it's going to be very hard for him to do that if he dismisses. Van Wagenen outright initially. I, I think that you know just just to get to fire a general manager in November seems like a very bad move, and I can't see the Wilpons necessarily firing him in September because they're they're they, be, they would be basically leaving Cohen in a terrible position to find a new general manager, bef- or, or or they would get to hire the next general manager for a guy go- for an ownership group that they're not really involved with. So I right. think that I think that keeping Van Wagen around for a year is an important piece of him being able to even compete for the friendship and kindness of Mets fans uh, for the next year. But I think if for some reason the Mets just blank on all their free agents, I think I think you're gonna see a lot of oh, same old story, new owners, still cheapskates, all that stuff. Which is really frustrating. But I think if he can get through this off season, He'll he'll, he'll be okay. Um, Do you think there's any chance Van Wagenen is not there next year?
1: Well, yeah, there's certainly some chance that he's not there. Uh, I I guess the majority of our Amazing Avenue crew and Mets fans would probably expect that he won't be. Uh, I won't be shocked if he is retained, whether it's for a short or long term, I don't know. But... If that official control doesn't change, uh, you know, change hands until November, uh, it would be an awkward or difficult time to implement an entirely new front office. Yeah. I think you could bring new voices into the room uh, if you took over at that point and uh, then make that change. So... Yeah, I'm not exactly making bold predictions here, but I I, I don't know. Um, I I, I don't know that it's automatic that Van Wagenen would be gone, like a lot of people think would be the case. Um, And whatever your assessment is of his transactions as a general manager, uh, it'll be interesting to see, even if Cohen does want to go a new direction, and, and have somebody else run baseball operations, whether or not the Mets maintain this sort of uh, keeping everybody in the family approach that they've had over the years. You know, Terry Collins, Omar Minaya uh, are among the names of people who had significant positions within the organization. Uh, and then either immediately or a little bit down the road, were brought back into the fold. So... It'll be interesting to see if that sort of institutional inertia maintains itself, sure, with the organization or not. And in the context of Van Wagenen, although he doesn't have nearly as much history as either of those two names that I mentioned, um, does Cohen come in and, and maybe find a new president of baseball operations? But decide that Van Wagenen is good at certain aspects of going out, speaking to the press, sort of being the face of the front office, that you know, that kind of stuff, um, and bring in people, and then keep him in a role that is still public-facing, uh, but maybe he's not ultimately in charge of, of the moves that are happening. Sure. Uh, with with the roster, so. I mean, there's two options when somebody takes over in a, in a situation like this, right? Either one clean house and everybody from the manager up to the owner gets replaced or, um, you know, bring in some people that you really know and, and either know or trust to be good people for the organization and sort of transition with the existing staff and, and, uh, and the new people. So, We'll see. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just going to be a complete showdown, and, and it's that simple, and I'm overthinking it. But I won't be shocked if there's a lo-
0: something a little more gradual. Yeah, it seems to me like you know most businesses will say if you know a new boss comes in, observe things for a little while. See what's working and what's not working before you just clean house. Um, right. So that would be a wise thing to do. But I also understand that there's a certain stink of the will ponds all over everything. And if you wanted to just run away from that screaming, I totally understand that as well. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I, you know, it's also, you and I have talked about this maybe, maybe not on the show, but certainly, you know, we've talked about it before, just the two of us, how it's, it's, it's hard to get excited over any hedge fund manager coming in to be the owner. That's not exactly the most, um, well-respected in my world uh, type of person. You know, hedge fund managers typically are... I mean, Steve Cohen has, has had a, a a number of fines and and other penalties put on him for unfair business practices. And, you know, he he seems like a relatively shady businessman in some ways, but I feel like that's pretty much who buys sports franchises at this point. And so you're never going to get, like, uh, you know, who would my ideal... Rich, like, like the richest guy I can think of that isn't a total shithead is probably Larry David, and Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> like if, if Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld bought the Mets, that'd be great, right? But you're but you're never yes. gonna get that. You're never get. You're it's always gonna be some hedge fund dork who has a ton of money and uh, got it through nefarious means. So I can't be too excited about Cohen on that level. I'm trying to go in with an open mind about him and not just judge him because of what he does for a living. But you know. If you've got $2 billion to spend on a hobby, you're doing fine. You don't need my approval. Yeah. Well, uh, whether or not Brody is the GM next year, he certainly was busy at the trade deadline this year. um, The Mets brought in three players uh, at the trade deadline, not giving up anybody of real note for them. Uh, They have their number 12 prospect based on the Amazing Avenue list. We'll talk about him in just a minute. But for um, the Mets traded two players to be named later and Cash, for uh, a couple of Texas Rangers in separate trades somehow. I don't. I think it's very strange that both were separate trades, even though no actual Mets were named in the trades. But the Mets traded for uh, Todd Frazier. I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not. He's from New Jersey. And also <laughs> uh, catcher Robinson Chirinos. And um, let's talk about these two trades first. I think that just about everybody felt that the Mets needed to do something at catcher because Tomas Nito is not back yet. seems like he might have been hit pretty hard by COVID-19. Wilson Ramos has started to hit a little bit in in the past few days, but has been a real disappointment so far this season. Um, Ali Sanchez did not impress during his time behind the dish. Um, I'm forgetting another Mets catcher, aren't I, who who caught this year?
1: Uh, Rene Rivera.
0: Oh, I was even thinking about him. He he's on the the forty five day IL. But there's somebody else who caught it like, last week, wasn't there? Well,
1: Manzika never got into oh, a game. Oh, that's
0: true. Mazika was on the roster, didn't get the game. That's what I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the
1: entirety of like the Amazing Avenue era of covering Mets minor league catchers has uh-huh. been present. Like <laughs> I feel like the first time I went to spring training, Mazika <laughs> and Sanchez were both guys who were on the radar. Right. And that was. Unfortunately, a little while ago now.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, um, you know, do do Chirinos or Frazier, do either of them get you excited at all?
1: Um, Well, Chirinos is a guy who, I mean, he's got five years, five seasons in a row of being an above league average hitter. Um, And that's rare from a catcher these days. And uh, it, in that sense, he does get me uh, get me excited. Um, certainly not the biggest acquisition uh, by any means, but he's somebody who would have been nice to see the Mets bring in over the winter, um, and I think someone who can give them some good uh, you know production at that position. So I like that move. Frazier is fine. Um, you know, he he generally seems like a likable teammate and a good influence in that sense and uh you know he's more or less established who he is as a player um you know you can't get too uh, i'm guilty of getting like very high on the good performances by Mets players this year just cuz they're fun um but we shouldn't overreact to anybody uh anybody's stats over the first month of this season especially under the circumstances so uh you know he has pretty solidly been the same hitter he's a slightly older version of that same hitter but guy who's got some power in his bat and isn't really gonna have a great batting average or great on base percentage but capable major league hitter so yeah you know and and I don't know. I enjoyed – he was never like, oh, man, I'm excited to watch Todd Frazier when he was with the Mets for the last two years. Um, But I I enjoyed his
0: presence overall, you know? I have almost nothing to add to what you said. Uh, (laughs) Frazier is fine. You know, he's – I mean, as a guy from New Jersey, I have to root for him. It's – it is actually in my property taxes. I get I get fined if I do not root for uh, for Todd Frazier. Um, you know, he's... If he gives Davis a little bit of time to heal... up The the word is that Davis has been playing a little bit hurt lately. So if they can start him a third base a couple of times and let Davis either play left field or DH a little bit, that's fine. You know, I don't think he's going to be a major part of the team, even though he did start the game today and went, I believe, 0-4, 0-5 in the game. Um, you know, it's... It's fine. It's a fine move. Chirinos, you know, I I wish the Mets had brought in. If you're going to bring in a backup catcher, I feel like bringing in a backup catcher who has a different skill set than your primary catcher is the way to go. But like Ramos, he's a bat first catcher. Uh, Like Ramos, he has had a very slow start to the season. I'm not trying to put too much stock in numbers for the season so far because as we've established who knows what the season numbers will look like overall and you know it's been a weird season but you know it it's it's fine if they gave up anybody of note for Chirinos I'd be a little bit more upset about the deal but I'm not it's fine it is what it is i think the more interesting trade is one we haven't talked about yet which is miguel castro the relief pitcher coming over from the orioles for mets prospect kevin smith um I, I am a little bit upset I'm not going to get a chance to recap a game and put, like, snoochie-boochies as the headline <laughs> because of a Kevin Smith joke. But other than that, you know. Well, the,
1: the the best thing is that Kevin Smith, the pitcher, would have absolutely made his first major league start in some strange circumstance where I'm not even supposed, supposed to, to be, be here, here today. today. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's, I have no doubt that that could have been used when they made him – get out there for the first time probably in like mid-september in a game that meant a lot
0: yes yes so you know all all of the clerks small rats and chasing amy references that are lodged in my brain from a teenage from teenage years spent in new jersey again uh will go to waste but you know castro is a really interesting pitcher he's he's a very hard thrower He's had a little bit of trouble with, with control over the course of his career, but this season he's been walking less and striking out more. He's a legit piece of this bullpen, and he's under team control for a couple more years after this. Uh, this is, a, a, I think, a, a really good trade for the Mets, potentially. Um, do you have any initial thoughts on this move?
1: Well, yeah, uh, aside from the inability to make those jokes and <laughs> and run with that. Uh, you know, I, I don't, it's not a knock on him, but I don't think anybody really had, had put stock in him. Like he was, um, you know, a surefire top prospect in all baseball kind of guy. He was somebody who was coming up. Um, and, and I know Jacob DeGrom is sort of the complete counter to this. Uh, I'm not saying they were rated equally at, at their times in the minors, but, uh, you know, not not somebody who is supposed to come up and, and dominate and have a shot at being a top-of-the-rotation pitcher, that that kind of a guy. Uh, I think the Mets have they've, – they've had a collection of guys who might be capable major league pitchers, but um, I don't know. Uh, if you went back like five or ten years, I would probably be skeptical that uh, – somebody had, had shown a change in their game like Castro has uh, and, and say, Oh, okay. All right. That's, that's promising. It is a small sample size. Uh, but something over the last few years that has at least somewhat changed that mindset. Um, I think you can keep it in that context of saying, okay, it's only this many games, this many innings. Uh, but maybe there's something there. Uh, I, I'd like to think of it in my mind as like the Justin Turner lesson. Right. When they non-tendered him, I thought absolutely nothing of it. And I mean, to be fair, I still think up to the point that he was done being a Met, he had not really shown signs of, of breaking out. But the way his career went after that, <laughs> I, I, I became a little more uh, open to a guy having a breakout, even though he had some major league experience that wasn't great, but then turning a corner. So, for a guy who who throws hard and has improved his strikeout and walk rates a lot this year, albeit in a, a pretty short span of time, uh, I'm very comfortable with the Mets parting ways with with Smith.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with all of that um
1: and Castro is he, he was kind of fun
0: to watch uh tonight
1: you know or, or this afternoon or evening um, against his team that he was just traded from in a in a very lopsided game at that point but
0: yes yeah yeah I, I completely agree I think it's a pretty fun look the Mets bullpen is one of those things that I mentioned last uh, earlier in the show that, it to me, it's very clear what the Mets need going forward. And I feel like a bullpen facelift is one of those things, absolutely. And, you know, bringing in a guy like this who's young and under team control, I don't see a downside. Unless you really, truly believed that Kevin Smith had a role in this bullpen beyond what... Um, or on this team, rather, you know, either in the bullpen or as a as a back of the rotation starter. Unless you felt that that guy was a lock for that, if the Orioles are willing to take that risk on this cost controlled piece that has a lot of upside, uh, I, to me, you make this move every time, especially because he could he could realistically help the Mets this year and for the future. Whereas I don't think Smith is going to really help the Mets very much this year, and I understand that, I think the front office, knowing that Cohen is coming in, maybe feels a little bit more urgency to win the rest, win out the rest of the season a little bit more to maybe improve their chances of sticking around. So this this does, this does feel more like a win now move than I thought the team would have maybe done at the at the deadline, but like we've said so many times this season the Mets could play terribly from this point out and still maybe make the playoffs. You just don't know. So uh, a move move that can bring in a potentially exciting young player. To me, you have to do that move. It's just it. It's just what it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Absolutely. So I, I think a lot of the framing of it was, Oh, okay. They, they brought in these three guys, how much are they going to help them this year? But uh, I don't know. It, <laughs> if I had a bet right now, I'd say this team is not going to make the playoffs based on how it's played. But every game in this season is uh, is pretty meaningful, and the standard is so lax to get
0: in. I'm, uh, it,
1: I wouldn't bet on it, but
0: it's possible. Well, let's talk about how the team has played so far. When we were chatting before the show, you mentioned how bad the Mets have been playing lately. And I'm not here to tell you the Mets have not been playing bad. But I think that the Mets have been playing in a very up-and-down way. You know, you look at the Mets won in dramatic fashion the first two games against the Yankees. They lost Saturday's game, you you know, pretty definitively. And then Sunday, the Mets... Twice let leads get away, and and let the game slip away. But I think that for the most part, the Mets this weekend had a lot of spunk, had a lot of uh, had a lot of good happen despite a mixed weekend series with the Yankees. I think that this week until today, you know, the first two games this week were much more pathetic than we've seen as of late. But today the Mets look dominant, even though Waka did not look very good to start. Um, right. You know, I so I I think it's hard to even say the Mets have been playing poorly lately. I think that there have been some really bad individual pitching performances we've seen so far, but I think the team itself could. It wouldn't surprise me if the Mets win on a six or seven game win streak. Is what I'm saying. I don't think anything is stopping them from doing that as long as they don't have the meltdowns that we've seen a couple of their players have as of late.
1: Right. But well, yeah, the the Sunday afternoon, the first game of that doubleheader that game was sloppy throughout and that was that sort of struck to your core as a Mets fan of, uh, of just, Oh man, like that hurt. I, (laughs) I didn't watch much of the second game. I'm not usually one to, you know, turn off the Mets when they're playing baseball, especially in a year like this when we should not take that for granted. Um, but I needed a little breather. (laughs) (laughs) It, It, the opening day experience where I was trying to, okay, like let's, let's adjust to this and make myself get into this and all that. That feeling was long gone. So in a way it was sort of refreshing to, to be that frustrated with a a Mets game um, because it's been a while. Uh, But yeah, if, if the season doesn't go well in the end, I would point to that game as, is maybe one of the crucial turning points of this season, but if they win uh, four more or five more games in a row, coming off their win tonight in in Baltimore, then they're in. You know, they're not they're not the Dodgers, but they're right there in it, and it's possible. So I I don't know I don't know what to make of it. I, I've been a little more down on the way they played the fact that Saturday was hap and they couldn't do anything against him. And then that game and both doubleheader games went to extra innings. And every single time it felt like, oh, well, they're going to lose. And then they did. (laughs) Those things combined with, with just the, the Marlins loss, the Orioles loss, um, I don't know. I didn't wake up feeling optimistic about the Mets today. But two or three more wins between uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, two or three more wins in a row, maybe four if we're lucky, then uh, then I'm starting to feel a little bit different. But I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah, it, it's very hard to know what this – I feel like until the last day of the season, I'm going to have no idea how this season's going to go. It's just so volatile and so weird. Um, We mentioned it briefly before, but have you heard anything about Nito?
1: Mm, No, I mean, I kind of took the Torino's trade as a possible indication that Nito had been hit with COVID, if we're assuming At this point, um, he's the only player who's been out since the Mets' COVID break. So if we're assuming it's him, I I sort of thought, similar to what you had said earlier, that maybe he had uh, a relatively rough go of it, and that's why they picked up Torinos. I mean, I could see that happening even if Nito was around – and and on the active roster over the past couple weeks. But yeah, uh, certainly crossed my mind. So, and I I don't know what to make of Nito's performance this year. Uh, The ultimate small sample. Uh, it's been very good, but (laughs) I, I just don't know.
0: Yeah. I, um, yeah, I agree completely. I, I wish that the Mets had the chance to to play Needle more this season to get a better sense of who he is as a player, but that obviously didn't happen. So, all right. Well, um, before we get into our music picks, I just this question popped in my head earlier today, and you know, I have some friends who are Mets fans who are usually of the more casual variety, but every now and then I'm gonna text from a friend that'll ask a question. And, and my friend uh, asked me a question this week that I thought w- is worth sharing on the podcast. And that is, do you think that there's anything that this roster of the Mets can do that their roster isn't currently doing? Like, for instance, is there a way for this team in through managerial moves or playing people, sitting people, shifting positions, et cetera, is there one glaring thing, Chris, that you see if the Mets stopped doing it or started doing it tomorrow, would have a great impact on their season?
1: Um, uh, not really. I mean, the bad part of the rotation has been so bad. So I guess <laughs> if I had to pick an answer for that question, it would just be Rick Porcello and Michael Waka having a five ERA instead of a six, seven, eight, nine, whatever the hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're at. I, I, that would be my biggest thing. Uh, that and Edwin Diaz coming in with men on base. Don't don't do that anymore.
0: Yes. Yeah, what about to, you? to me, it was just pitching performance. It was it was rather pitching decisions. Like, look, I, I get it. I don't think David Peterson's gonna win a Cy Young award, right? But I don't understand why he was demoted to the bullpen when Rick Porcello is still walking around as a starting pitcher. <laughs> I just yeah. think that the team is making some weird. You, know, you said bring in Diaz and men on base, not knowing when to cut bait with certain people in a performance. You know, not not just saying, "All right, you're done. Give me the ball." So I think that just a, a slightly more improved, just decision making for pitching. Not necessarily even. I mean, obviously you want performances to be better. I'm not saying that, but you can't mandate that. But to me, you a you would be able to just make some slightly better decisions from how you're using your pitching staff. And I think things could be marginally better. But I don't know. Someone on my Twitter timeline just shared a, uh, a picture of Andy Warhol and Tom Seaver. And that makes me happy. So it is Seaver as a red though. So I, I take it with a grain of salt. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, Chris, what is your music pick for this week?
1: So I, I'm pretty sure I did not do this on a podcast yet based on when I got into them uh, and and what our podcast schedule has been over the summer. Uh, But Australian punk band called the chats and they put out a record earlier this year called high risk behavior. And uh, they're just young punk band, pretty traditional if I, you know how to describe the music, Uh, but They've got a couple really good, catchy songs. Um, And yeah, it's just a fun record. Uh, Best song on the album, to me, is called Identity Theft. It's track four. And it has been stuck in my head for most of the pandemic because um, despite having been into a lot of Australian bands and music over the last few years, I actually found out about the Chats by either Discover Weekly or just a Spotify Radio, um, I think it was Discover Weekly, but one of those things that Spotify presented it to me because it fit with stuff that I like. Right. Um, fancy terms here, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, check I was it out. I was trying uh, to find
0: out if there was a term for like you know how an Anglophile is someone who loves all things British. I was trying to find out if there was a term for like australia file
1: yeah there there might be
0: i couldn't find one with a quick google search so i was gonna call you that but i can't
1: yes oh i I appreciate that but yeah the record gets off to a really good start for the like right from track one um but there's there's some there's some acdc in there not not musically so much but just sort of the young like I don't know, young brashness of it, um, if that makes any sense. That sure, it's nice to have a, a little spiritual connection. And it, just looking at it now on Spotify too, it's fourteen songs, twenty-eight minutes long. That is, uh, you know, not quite Minutemen esque, but it it fits in. You know, short songs can be a lot of fun.
0: I promise you, we didn't plan this, listeners. <laughs> my yeah, um, I did
1: I I did not know whatever you're about to say.
0: <laughs> my pick is a band that I heard there's a, a podcast. Well, there's a podcaster named Stephen Hayden who's currently doing three music podcasts, uh two weekly and one every two weeks. The every two weeks one I've mentioned on the show before, it's called 36 from the Vault. It's a look back at Dick's Picks, all the Dick's Picks series and The Grateful Dead. One of them is called Rivals, which is about music rivalries, which is super fun, and there's one called IndieCast, which is about new music, and I heard him mention this on, I don't know if it was him or his co-host, uh, Ian Cohen, who mentioned this, but it's a band called Second Grade, they're from Philadelphia, the album's called hit to hit it's 24 songs in 41 minutes, uh, I believe the longest song on the album is like just just over three minutes, like Three oh nine or yeah, uh, three ten, yeah. But some of them are less than a minute long, and it, it kind of reminds me of like a guided by voices thing, where they're they just do these like perfect pop songs, played like by a uh, you know a um, a power pop or a punk or I, I don't you know just sort of melodic punky rock band. But each of them is these are these perfect little songs, and uh, you know on one hand you wish that they were twice as long because they're really catchy and really fun. On the other hand, they're absolutely perfect as they are. There's one song specifically called Dennis Hopper in Easy Rider that I really, really like. And uh, <laughs> uh, the lyrics are just like uh, the chorus is uh, like Dennis Hopper and Easy Rider. Um, and then he named maybe Jack Nicholson in Easy Rider. Like, the lyrics are about the different actors in Easy Rider. Um, but it's, it's it's excellent. It's really fun. And, uh, yeah, I've actually been writing a lot of really short songs lately. And when I found this, I was like, oh, this is sort of, like, similar to what I've been doing. And now you have given me uh, another another band to listen to uh, doing short songs. So that's fun. So, yeah, you can listen to probably both. How how? What's the name of the album again, Chris, you gave us? Uh, High Risk Behavior by the Chats. Yeah. I'm just looking something up here. So, um, yeah, you can get... You can listen to both of our albums in uh, just over an hour, about an hour and 10 minutes, and you get uh, 38 songs (laughs) in that time. (laughs) So in the time it takes you to listen to The Wall by Pink Floyd, you can get three times as many songs here. Um, There you go. Yeah. So anyway, uh, thank you, folks, for listening. We, as always, appreciate it. Uh, I would love to see... Mets fans and Amazing Avenue readers uh, pouring out their love for um, Tom Seaver this week. So, you know, if you have any fun Tom Seaver stories, share them, you know, on Twitter and tag us or post in our comments. Just, you know, let's all be talking about Tom Terrific, about the franchise, you know, just just the uh, the greatest Met ever. Let's keep that conversation going. He's far too important to stop talking about just just a, a few days after his passing. So let's please keep that up. Uh, you can keep that up with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. Those things help other people find out about this show and all of our amazing shows. Uh, right now, we have had um, uh, just an, an Iron Man streak of from Complex to Queens going every single week without break. And I'm proud of those guys for doing that. Of course, we also have unformidable. We also have a pot of their own, and uh, we're working on maybe some fun guests for uh, some future in conversation episodes. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs a Nap, and we'll return next time to talk more about the Mets. And until then, as always.